Hi, my name is Stephen Luna. I'm the lead pastor of MWC Church. We're so glad you chose to join us for this podcast. My prayer is that it would be a blessing in helping you grow closer to Jesus and help you grow in your faith. Enjoy this week's sermon. Hey, who is excited that the Daniel fast is coming to an end? Right? We did it. We did it 21 days. Uh, we, we've been doing this version uh, Bible study online with me and like 70 other people. And uh, I, I've been, I, today I just commented, uh, I was like, I read it all. I read it all. Usually I'm in there and I'm giving deep thought, Lord, what are you, what are you saying? Speak to me. And, and I was getting ready for church and getting ready for this morning. So I, I read it really quickly. I'm like, oh, this is good. This is good. Woo, we did it. That, that was my comment. I was just like so excited that we're here. We made it 21 days later. It has been phenomenal. I've been getting report after report of the Lord's blessing, the Lord's miraculous power in people's life, like rotator cuffs being healed, God doing just phenomenal, like just incredible things, providing jobs for individuals who have been out of work for the longest time and their families in need, and the Lord provides a, an incredible opportunity, individuals who, who found just, just great things happening. Like, honestly, the Lord has been blessing us on the Daniel Fest. We had our Chi Alpha, our college ministry students, go on a retreat, and, and Alan Lauren, the leaders of that ministry, if you guys want to just wave real quick, um, Unofficial, they're, they're the interim leaders, but we're working to make them the full-time leaders. We'll just give us one more wave real quick. They're just hanging out there. Uh, give it up for them. We love Chi Alpha, WSU. It's our ministry to college students on the campus of WSU, but they went on a retreat, and, and during the Daniel Fast, the Lord was just tearing down just strongholds in people's life, and just beautiful things are happening, calls to ministry. God is doing wonderful things, and it's because we start off on the right foot of fasting. We focus on him. You see, fasting is, is this act of abstaining or staying away from some things for the sole purpose of getting closer to God. Again, fasting, staying away from some things for the purpose of getting closer to God. I had a guy come up to me yesterday, new in the faith. He, he, he didn't want to do a, a food fast. It's very difficult for him, and I'm, he's always on the road driving and stuff. So he's like, I'm going to fast social media because I noticed that when I, the first thing I do when I wake up is I go to Facebook or I go to Instagram or I'm on TikTok doing a video. If you don't know what TikTok, you're, you're better off for it. But, but he, he do it, you know, he, he's like, I'm always on social media. So he's like, I deleted everything during the last 21 days, and Every single morning when I wake up, normally I'd go on Instagram or whatever, and now I'm going in the Word of God, and God has just been speaking to me left and right. It's crazy. I, I'll read a passage, and then somewhere during the day I'll be driving, and I'll notice that the same passage is like on a poster. God is just like speaking to me. So God has been doing some phenomenal things during this fast. But we've said this. We're staying away from some things to focus on God. And you know what? We're about to go back to those things that we purposely stayed away for, from. And uh, my, you know, I'm praying today that as I break that fast, and people have been asking, Pastor, how do I break that fast? Uh, do, do I have to be right at midnight? If you started at midnight on Sunday, do, or if I started right after church, do I have to wait for after church? Here, here's, here is my word of advice to you. Break it in a way that will honor and celebrate the Lord. Timing isn't important as much as it is, are you honoring the Lord? Are you celebrating with, with other people? who are maybe joining you in the process. Are you sharing the experience? So break the fast. If you want to break after lunch, break after lunch. If you want to wait till midnight when everyone's asleep, you go into the fridge and eat a cookie, do, do that. Just wake someone up and say, I did it, right? Like, we did it. <laughs> but we, we stood away from some things. We abstained from some things so we could get closer to God. And we said this, more important than what we're eating on the fast is whether or not we prayed during the fast. Did you know this? Because we ended the window here or today, the Daniel fast ends today, it doesn't mean that we no longer pray. 
My prayer is that you just had such a great taste, a feast of, of the presence of the Father, that, that you will be drawn to continue to worship and prayer and, and fast, even in the new year. In fact, I had someone come up to me and they said, Pastor, the Daniel fast was so powerful in my life over the last 21 days that one day a week for the next 50 or you know, whatever, 40 something weeks, I'm, I'm gonna fast once a week. I'm just gonna spend time one day in his presence, praying and fasting, changing my diet, abstaining from something so that I can focus on him once a week. I think that's a phenomenal idea. But we've been talking about fasting, right? We said this, fasting, when we fast, it brings us, it brings us spiritual breakthrough. We said that when we fast, it, it, it brings situation transformation. When there is a situation that you are facing, that you're like, there is no way I'm gonna come out of this, that fasting can oftentimes be that, that breakthrough that you're looking for. We've also said that fasting helps us, hears, helps us hear God's marching orders. If you've ever been in a place where you're like, Lord, what, what is next for my life? You maybe find yourself at a, at a fork in the road and you're like, God, do I go left? Do I go right? Do I take this job? Do I not take this job? Fasting and praying will be that vehicle to bring the Lord's marching orders. Tell us, hey, this is where I want you to go. So do not denounce or reject the effectiveness of a fast. But you know what? I felt today... The purpose of my message, the the main idea of my message is this. Fasting brings us power to obey. Everybody say that. Fasting brings us power to obey, right? Here's one thing that I was thinking about or, or, you know, when I I was writing the message, uh, I felt like it would have, it could have been fasting gives us power to obey God. So I I wrote in my my notes, fasting gives us power to obey God. But I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me when I wrote that, and he said, hell, let's be careful. Fasting doesn't give you power to do anything. It brings you power to do something. You see, God was saying, I am the one who gives power to obey. I am the one who gives you power. I I am the one who gives the power. The, The vehicle is fasting. The Lord is the one who is bringing it, the, uh, but, but, or I'm uh, giving it, but, but the fast is the one who brings it. It's kind of, the, the, if I would have to illustrate it, I would, I would illustrate it like a, like a, pizza, a pizza delivery guy. He, a pizza delivery guy, he doesn't, he doesn't give you pizza. He brings you pizza, right? Like He's not thinking, you know what would be really nice if, if, if I just brought this person pizza, so he, he rings a random doorbell, here you go. He's not, he, he, he brings pizza. He doesn't give pizza. Who gave the pizza? whoever bought it, right? So when we're talking about the fast and, and how fasting brings spiritual breakthrough or it, or it brings power to obey, we're simply saying this. Uh, fasting is the vehicle in which it came, but the Lord was the one who has given us the power. Fasting does not have any power in and of itself. It's always the Lord. Right, it's, it's, if I had to illustrate it another way, I would say Santa Claus. I tell my kids, I don't know what you tell your kids, like maybe Santa brings every single gift, but I told like my wife when we were dating, like, listen, I'm not gonna let any, you know, red, some, some guy in a red suit get all the credit for the money that I had to spend to get my kids gifts. So, so we're not gonna, we're not, someone's like, amen, I just saw that hanky in there, like, hallelujah, look, I don't know why, but hey, I'll take it. Uh, but, but we told, so we tell our kids, listen, Santa just brings them. Like mom and dad buy them. You know how Amazon drops off presents at the door? He's kind of like the Amazon. Mom and dad, we, we give the gifts Santa brings them, right? So let's just get something clear. So, so, so it's the same thing with fasting. Fasting alone is not what brings us or gives us power. It brings us power to obey God. So today, before we jump in, because I know this word obey. Everybody say the word obey. 
obey sometimes has a negative connotation. It's almost like you're just a, 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 an automaton and you have to follow the rules of whatever is being said. Like obedience sometimes ha- carries this negative connotation. And I want to today just, just correct some things about that. Maybe you grew up in a tradition of, of Christianity or maybe you're familiar, most familiar with the tradition of Christianity where it's all obey, obey, obey. The moment you mess up, nobody likes you anymore. The Lord's far from you. And, and then you have to work your way to get back in. And once you're in, you have to obey, obey, obey. A very, what, what we can see in scripture known as a, a legalistic, focusing just on the law, on, on the rules, the regulations. So sometimes obedience can carry a negative connotation. But today I want to bring some clarity really quick in our moments together. The first thing I want us to understand is this. God loves you. There is nothing you can do to change that. He loves you. In fact, you don't, you don't even understand how much he loves you. The Bible tells us that, that God so loves the world, not, not just you as an individual, but, but every single one of us. The Lord wrapped his arms around the world. He says, as God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that he gave Jesus Christ to be the offering, to bring us back into his presence. He, he gave his life so that we could take up ours and we could enjoy him forever. Like, like God is madly, deeply in love with you. If you could get one thing just in your heart and in your mind today, I pray it's this, that God loves you. There's nothing you can do about that. There's nothing you can do to change it. You may be running this morning from the presence of God, but the fact remains, he loves you. However, your love for God is reflected on whether or not you obey him. You see, there's nothing you can do about God's love for you, but how we're able to reciprocate that love can and is dependent on on our desire and ability to obey. How do we know this? Well, all throughout Scripture. I'm about to just give you, just through the the, the author John, just through his gospel and through his epistles, I I want you to see something, right? Um, Again, the, the idea is this, God loves you, but obedience is important. Um, I, I would illustrate it this way. There's nothing my, ki- nothing my kids can do that would cause me to love them any less than I love them now. But how much they love me is proven by whether or not they trust me at my character, they trust my ability to tell them when I give them a directive, this is right or wrong, uh, and, and, and obey when I give them instructions. Let, let's look at this in scripture. John 14, 15, it says this. John chapter 14, verse 15 says, if you love me, this is Jesus speaking, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 21 says this, whoever has my commands and keeps them, meaning abides by them, is the one who loves me. John 15, 10 says this, Jesus is saying, if you keep my commands, you will remain Remain close to, abide in, like a shelter, right? You will, you will stay in my love. He's not saying that if the moment you, you don't love me or the moment you, you disobey, you're, you're out of the house or you're, you're away from my love. What that idea of, of remain in literally means to, to take refuge in. If you obey me, if you obey my commands, you will stay in the refuge, the, the safety of my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Remain, remain stay in the shelter of his love. 2 John 6 says this, love means doing what God has commanded us. Love means doing what God has commanded us. 1 John 5, 3 says this, in fact, this is love for God, colon. Now it gives the answer, to keep 
his commands, to obey them. And I love what he ends, he, he ends with a beautiful note. He says this, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, if you're hearing this and reading this, and, and the first thing you're thinking is like, oh, obedience, it's such a, such a hard concept, it's such a, a difficult thing. You are turning the, the law and the obedience aspect of God into a, a difficult task to carry. In fact, I, I want us to, to remove the, the notion because Paul or, or John is saying this, his commands are not burdensome. You see, his commands truly are not burdensome. The more you get to know the character of God, you realize how much he loves you. And the things that he tells you to stay away from and to not do, and the things that he tells you to do, the, 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 the laws, the regulations, when, when you look at that stuff, you recognize that those aren't meant to harm us. They're meant to help us. And in fact, if God did not give us the law, if he did not give commands, then, then he would not be a good God. But he has given us the law. He has given us commands. And they're always to help. They're never to harm. His commands aren't burdensome. And some of you may be carrying in here, carrying the weight of, of the guilt of not keeping those commands. And can I tell you something? God's desire for you is not to walk around with guilt of the lack of obedience. He doesn't want you to walk around with the condemnation of the sin that you carry. His desire is to lift those off of your shoulder through the grace of Christ and help you you see, religion tells you this. Religion says this, obey God, obey God. But Jesus says, let me help you obey God. You see the difference there? We, sometimes we can, get, we can fall into the rut of, of religion. There's, there's two extremes. There's some people who say their Christianity is all about grace. So they go on living however they want. They, they continue to go to the club and they'll just use Jesus as like a cosmic genie, a, a cosmic band-aid and just, you know, just put it over, you know, like, oh, I'm just gonna put that over my sin and I'm gonna keep living my life the way that I want. And, and to them, I, I'd say you're, you're not experienced the, the greatest aspect of what God has for you. You've seen a part, but, but you're still living in this life. And, and the Lord, yes, he, he can't can deliver he can't save and, and he can heal you heal the sins that you carry but the Lord's desire is to transform you to, to make a new creation out of you and, and, and there, there's that one extreme of I'm going to continue to live in my sin and I'm no longer going to worry about obedience because I got grace and I'm saying that is a cheap gospel that you're listening to but then there's the other side the other extreme that says it's all about obedience and, and I'm never going to sin and I'm never going to do this and, and, and those are great things and, but, but let, let me just say this when the, in, the, in the middle there's this perfect part where you understand that it's not about my ability to sin or not sin. It's, it's me trusting Jesus to help carry me every step of the way. If he's the one who saved me, he will be the one that continues the good work that he started, that he will lead me to obedience. He will, he will carry me. He will be the strength. You see, grace is not just a get out of hell free card. It is also power to obey the word of the Lord. He carries us. So, so we have in this little area, this moment here where God wants us to draw closer to him. Again, religion says obey God, but Jesus says, let me help you obey God. Because here's the fact. We do know that if you say you love God, you will show it, not by your ability to be perfect, but by your desire to obey him. By your desire to obey him, where you allow your heart to shift and you consult the Holy Spirit. Lord, how, how does this affect you? How, how, how do these decisions, do they magnify you or, or, or do they only magnify myself? Do they only lift myself up? Lord, I wanna, I wanna obey your desires. I wanna obey your spirit. So do I obey the Lord personally? Yes, I do. Do I sin? 
Yes, absolutely. Do, will I sin again? Most definitely, you better believe it. But here's the thing. Here's the difference. I will never tolerate sin in my life. There will never be a moment where we will tolerate sin in our lives or we should tolerate sin in our lives. And when we do sin, we remember we have an advocate with the Father. We always run to Jesus for forgiveness and strength. So again, obedience doesn't mean perfection. It means going to the perfect one. It means saying, Lord, I've I've fallen and I've failed, but I will not tolerate this sin, and it disgusts me, and I know that it puts you on the cross, and and I won't tolerate this in my life. I won't just allow it to take place. I won't just ever say, well, I guess this is just going to be a part of who I am. No, Lord, I, I, I need deliverance. I'm coming to you, and I may fail again, and I may fall, but I know you are the one who carries me. I think there is someone in this place this morning who has been burdened by sin, and obedience to you sounds like a long shot, but the Lord desires to allow his grace to fill you up. His Holy Spirit is here to strengthen you. And I'm telling you, fasting gives us power to obey. It brings us power to obey. Jesus will give you the power that you need to live a life of obedience. This isn't popular in today's culture because we want the glory, the hallelujah, the the jump around, march around, and dance around the stage. But, But the reality is the Lord desires to refine us. And the refining process sometimes is, it hurts like sandpaper rubbing against the grain. It's, 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 it's the Holy Spirit coming in and, and trying to, to take things out of our lives. And at first you may say it's painful, it's painful, but he has you on a process to make you way more beautiful than you ever could be. And it's what he loves to do. So we submit ourselves to that and we say, Lord, help me become more obedient to your word. Help me become more obedient to your voice. You see, during this season of prayer and fasting, we relied on God to carry us the whole way. And now as we enter into 2020, refresh and refocus with with marching orders, I'm gonna talk about these in a bit, we trust him to also carry us into the plans he has for us. You see, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, where we're gonna pick up our text this morning, we see King Jehoshaphat, who was once a king who, who loved the Lord, started off loving the Lord. Eventually, God continued to bless him and bless him and bless him. I mean, there was no end to the extent of his, of his reign and his kingdom. God was just doing powerful things in his, in his kingdom. Eventually, the blessings that God gave him caused him to put on blinders, and he could no longer see the blesser, much like what happens in our life. You may be a college student praying, Lord, give me a job, give me a job, and please help me please provide because you're sick of eating ramen noodles all day and you're like, God, please, please, please. And then it finally gives you a job and then you get your first paycheck and you're like, deuces, Jesus, right? You don't even care about him anymore. Your your blessings can sometimes become blinders, no longer be able to see the blesser. And that's what happened with King Jehoshaphat. He was no longer able to see God because he had everything. And then that caused him to make a judgment error and he got into a, a political relationship with the king Ahab to the north, the king of Israel, who did not love God, did not serve him. In fact, he worshiped other gods, false gods, and I mean, just a horrible situation. So he gets in this, in this political alliance, and that alliance ends to the, to the, the, it leads to the end of King Ahab. They're in war together. They go to war against another kingdom, and in this kingdom, they, 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 they start losing the battle, and the Lord told uh, King Jehoshaphat and Ahab that if you guys go to war, um, Ahab, you're going to die. They still went out to war. They go out to war. King Ahab dies. King Jehoshaphat's like, what, have I, what am I doing in this war? I shouldn't even be in this. I shouldn't be in this alliance. He rushes back home, he, and then the moment he gets through the city gates, the prophet is there waiting for him. He closes the gates. He says, welcome, King. I'm glad you're back. What were you doing? 
You should, who, who are you to be in relationship with the one who hates the Lord? Why would you do this, right? Like, and, and he's bringing all this up and he said, just, but even still, I know you have a love for the Lord. He hasn't forgotten you. In that moment, Jehoshaphat's heart was broken. He's like, what did I just do? I was so close to the Lord and I cared about obedience and then I got blinded by the blessings. And I, and I, and I made some horrible mistakes and I committed some disgusting sins. I'm gonna reform my life. I'm gonna rely on his mercy and reform my life. And he brought reformation to his life and to his kingdom. They were living powerful lives of, of obedience and of, of, of trusting in the Lord. And then finally, in the midst of more blessing, word came back to the king that another army was marching on their back door, coming through the valley of Aziz, which was three, three kingdoms coming together. They formed a coalition, and they were marching on the city of Jerusalem. The king is terrified, and we pick up our, city here, or our story here. There's, four, there's a couple of parts that I want us to understand in today's portion of Scripture. We're going to read 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 13, or 13 through 30, and there's four, I would call them, acts to this part of Scripture, this portion here. The first one is this. Notice the prayer. We're going to see a, a prayer being prayed in this portion of Scripture. The first thing is this. Let's read this together, chapter, verse 3 of chapter 20 in 2 Chronicles. It says, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news, and he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jeel, son of Mataniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. The first thing that I notice here is, is notice that it's very clear that, that the, the, the husbands, the fathers, were the first ones to stand up when, when King Jehoshaphat orders the fast. He's, they are the first ones to stand up and, and begin to pray, and they bring under their covering, under their household, he brings with them the, the wives, the little ones, and the, and the children. Someone asked me yesterday, Pastor, what's the difference between a little one and a child? Typically in, in Hebraic culture, uh, if you can start walking, you were a child. If you were still being carried around, you were a little one. So kind of like today. Uh, so, but here we see, the first thing that I felt the Lord tell me was, was notice how the household, the leader of the household, the spiritual leader of the household, the husband, is leading the charge. Husbands, listen, you may feel like, like you are a Disney Channel dad. What do I mean by that? You ever watch Disney Channel? They always make dads look like idiots. Idiots, Right? They do that intentionally. I, I believe there's, listen, I, I got Disney Plus, but sometimes I feel like the enemy is trying to destroy the household. Um, dads, you are important. You are important. You have, you have a purpose in the household, and you may feel at times like a hypocrite, like you can't lead, you may feel awkward, but I know that the Spirit will give you strength the moment you say, I'm gonna lead my family. But maybe you're in a situation like I was. I didn't have a house, a, a dad in the house, and it was me and my mom. Moms, single parents, if you are the one who is, who is leading, the Lord will double in, in, in strength your abilities. He will come in and fill any void that you may feel that you are lacking. God is a redeemer and he is a restorer. So if you feel that you can't take charge and you can't take lead, but God has placed you in the position to do that, trust him, step into that, and the Lord will honor you. But we see King Jehoshaphat bowing before the Lord and saying, church, community, uh, Jerusalem, kingdom, let's, let's fast, let's pray. And the fathers stand up and they say, let's do it. The families begin to pray. 
So here we see the prayer, but now we see that during the season of the prayer, the Lord speaks and he gives a plan. Everybody say plan. Look what happens here. Let's read in our story. Verse 15. So remember, it is now the prophet who is speaking. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15, he's speaking and he says this. Listen, all you people of Judah in Jerusalem. Now this is the Lord speaking through uh, Jehaziel. Look what he says here. He says this. Listen, all you people of Judah in Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Let's pause there for a second. The first thing he says is, listen up. Give me your, give, give me your attention. Uh, sometimes when we say, when we hear the word listen, we think that he just wants attention, but really what, what this word listen um, was, was used as was, was a, a means to say, what I'm about to say is important, which re- it requires obedience. And I believe that the Lord is saying this morning that during this fast, the Lord has been trying to get, draw your attention and say, listen up. Uh, I, I'm about to give you some, some decrees, but I, I, they require your obedience. I don't want you to just hear what I'm about to say. I want you to be a doer of what I'm about to say. The Bible says this, do not be just hearers of the word, but doers also. It's not good if we can just hear the voice of the Lord unless we walk in obedience. And this is what the prophet is trying to convey. But then he says, do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by the mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. I love I love how the prophet first says, this is how we should respond to the the plan I'm about to give. The first thing he says is, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. He is absolutely uh, certain of how he wants the people of Judah to respond to the plan that God is about to give. You know why he does this? Because your atmosphere determines outcome. How you respond to news or how you respond to what is happening around you will oftentimes be what carries the plan into fruition. Do you ever notice that? Do you ever know, has there ever been a moment in your life where you received horrible news and and you noticed that the moment the the, the household started going crazy, maybe you, maybe there was a day in your life where where you got an overdraft fee, those those pesky overdraft fees, and you were, oh my goodness, how this is, and and you're just freaking out, you're going crazy, and and, and people are, you know, the kids are looking up at you, uh, what's going on, how do I respond to you, or maybe there's something that's happened, you're just like uh, reacting, responding like a a mad person, running around the house going crazy, and you just look, people are looking to the queue, and, and what I love here is that the prophet is clear he's trying to say i want you to respond to the news without fear don't be discouraged right and uh don't be afraid and then don't be discouraged in fact be be encouraged by what i'm about to say because atmosphere determines the outcome how you respond to the plans of god how you respond to the plans of god will determine how you live out the plans of god there's times where when the Lord says, I want you to go forth and do something, you're just like, oh, no, God, I, I can't do this. And in fact, he's, he's trying to calm you down and trust him. And this is what the prophet is trying to do. He's trying to get the people of God, he's trying to get the Judah to respond in such a way that allows them to carry out the plan. In verse 16, we see this. He says, tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jurel, but you will not even need to fight. 
Take your positions, then stand and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. I love this. I love this. And the Lord is, is giving a decree here. He's saying, listen up. What I'm about to say is important. Obey. But then he says, this is how I want you to, to, to respond to what I'm about to tell you. I want you to not be afraid, and I want you to not be discouraged. And I could just imagine King Jehoshaphat in the moment when he's hearing this. He's got his eye on the prophet, and he keeps glancing over at the army. He's got his eye on the prophet, and he's glancing over at the army. And he's like, uh, okay, how am I to not be afraid and not be discouraged when I see an army marching to the city walls? And, and you know what's crazy is I feel like there are times in our life, and right now God is bringing us to a season we've been praying and fasting. He's giving us a plan, and my prayer is that we would have the same response. The Lord is giving us a plan, and my prayer is that we would not be afraid, and we would not be discouraged, that we would understand that the Lord is going to be the one that carries us through the season that we are about to enter into. The Lord is saying the same to our church. In Proverbs 29, 18, it says this, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves, but when they attend, everybody say the word attend, That means to serve, to work on. When they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. During this fast, I've been praying, God, give me a vision. Give me insight. Give give me the, uh, there's, there's ideas and plans that I have, but I don't want anything in my own strength. I want what you are providing, Lord. And he's given a plan to our church. There's a couple things that we're gonna be walking through, and and, and I'm gonna just share some things in a moment, but what should our attitudes be? I'm gonna read a passage to you. It may feel a little self-serving from my end, but I wanna read it anyway. Hebrews 13, 17, it says this. The writer of Hebrews says this. Obey your leaders. Everybody say the word obey again. Oh, that word. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, is he talking about all your leaders in this context? Obviously, the, 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 the greater application would be, yes, every leader that is over you, your bosses, your, uh, your governing officials, so on and so forth, anybody who's in a position of, of authority or leadership over you, the Lord's will for us is to obey them. But here's what, he, here's what he's trying to get at. Specifically the ones in the next verse or the next section we see, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Your boss, he pays your paycheck, but he is not keeping watch over your soul. In fact, I'll just be honest, he probably doesn't care about your soul, right? Uh, But here's the thing. The context of this passage, maybe he does, hopefully he does. The context of this passage is specifically talking about spiritual leadership. Obey your leaders. Submit to them. Two words. Obedience is the idea of of saying, I'm I'm going to follow the the word that is given. Submission means I'm going to submit my will to that will. Right, not only am I gonna do it, because how many of you know there's times where your kids do things that you tell them, but they're just dragging their feet the whole way and they're kicking, go clean your room, oh, right? And they're just like, oh, like everything's like a broken arm is like touching everything and broken legs as they're walking. Uh, that, the obedience is happening. They're listening to what you're saying, but they're not submitted. Their, their will is still theirs and not yours. Here, the passage is saying, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. They will give an account to whom? To God. Uh, There are decisions that me and the leadership are making, and you may be saying, this is a, uh, you know, you're not gonna say this because it's not that big of a thing, but you're saying, oh, this is horrible, it's a travesty, but the reality is, 
when it's all said and done, you know this, that I will give an account to the Lord. When I meet the Lord face to face, he's gonna hold me to task for every decision, every dime and dollar that we've ever spent, and that is a task that I take serious. But the passage continues, it says this, let them do this. Do what? Lead. Let them lead with joy and not with groaning. Look what the next verse says. It says, for, what, for that would be of no advantage to you. Wait a second. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to them, is how I always understood that passage. Right, like obviously, if, if, you're, if you're leading, a, if you're a team captain or if you're a coach or if you're a manager and you're leading something and everyone is, is, is creating a culture that is unjoyous and, and it's, it's, you know, everyone's groaning, you think it's gonna be a difficulty for the one who is leading. But here the passage is saying in the church specifically, when, when we create an environment where it's not joyful for the pastor or the leadership and it's not joyful and there's, there's groaning, uh, the Bible says specifically that it is of no advantage to you. You know, I, I am a person of, uh, who's under authority. I've got a pastor that I submit myself to, Pastor Terry. He leads the district. He leads the state of Kansas, a phenomenal guy, a phenomenal leader. And when he leads a decree, when he, when he says something, he's like, hey, this is what we're going to do as a, as a state. I am the first, not of the first, but I'm one of the first people to be, pastor, I'm your guy, whatever you need, I'm there. And I know a principle that when I submit and obey whatever my pastor is telling me, that things will go well for me. So what is the attitude and the character that God desires for us? Friend, trust me, it's obedience and submission. Things will be of good joy and gain for you if you obey and you submit to the vision that God has given. But what are the plans? What are the plans? I desire our church to reflect greatly who we are and who what we are becoming. In fact, if you look out there, you see a beautiful wing. You see a, a state-of-the-art kids area, and you see a, an awesome coffee shop. All these things that speak warmth and belonging and family and connection. My prayer, my desire is that in here, we would reflect the same attitude. What do you mean, pastor? Well, I mean this. As much as I love mauve carpet, um, I think it's time to update. As much as I love this beautiful seam in our carpet here, uh, some of people ask, like, Pastor, why are the lights so dim? It's because I don't want you to look at the carpet. <laughs> I, I, want, I want to reflect who we are. And we're a vibrant church. Beautiful, multinational, multi uh, 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 De demographics from age and, and just it's beautiful beautiful church I want us to reflect that up here as well so my desire for 2020 is for us to redesign the stage to tear out the carpet update bring in some lights yes bring in a haze machine because uh, then we can just say hey that's the Shekinah glory it's the glory of the Lord um, but yes I, I want us to update this I, I want us to bring cameras so that we can start live streaming our services because here's the reality 10:30 on a Sunday or a five o'clock on a Saturday two options it's difficult for for people to get to church, schedules are changing, but we are living in a media age where people can tune in online. I want us to update what's happening in here. And you know what? I, I've been running the numbers, and yes, it's expensive. In fact, we have more vision than money, but here's one thing that I know. When God gives a vision, he will provide for it. 
So I am believing and trusting. God, we, we are taking a step of faith. May you do miracles. You, you've carried us through one renovation and one enhancement, and this one's not gonna be quite as, quite as large as that one, but God, we still need to rely on you. I, I'm believing that Lord, the Lord is gonna provide miracles for us to do this because we are doing it to honor him. We want to fill this place, and I'm believing that we are gonna have multiple services, online services. God is gonna do powerful things, so we are going to redesign the stage. What's the timeline? My prayer, my vision is this, if the finances are there, that we would do this before Easter, that this would be done before Easter, that we would completely remodel this stage and allow this to become a, a reflection of who we are, who we really are. Uh, we are gonna have a, an offering on Vision Sunday, March 8th. So mark your calendars, March 8th. We're gonna take up an offering to see this vision done. And we're gonna, I'm gonna explain that as the weeks go by, specifically, because I know there's some people who you just love spreadsheets and uh, details and tech, and you just love that stuff. So we're gonna give information as we get there. But uh, we're gonna completely update and renovate our stage. The second thing is this. Here's the plan the Lord has been giving during the Daniel fast. In fact, he gave this to me last Daniel fast. I want our church to also uh, better communicate, not just reflect, but communicate who we are and where we're going. And one way we can do that is by changing the name of our church. Uh, Maranatha Worship Center is a beautiful name. It was a beautiful name. It served a purpose in, in the early 2000s. And, but today, every time I call a pizza place and I tell them who I'm ordering it for, it's usually for our church, they're like, Marinara Worship Center, gotcha. And I'm like, no, it's not Marinara. In fact, I think there's only three of us in this place who know what Maranatha even means, right? Uh, and they'll even get it wrong. But it's okay. Maranatha Worship Center, it doesn't reflect who we are anymore and, and I, and I, or it doesn't communicate who we are anymore. And you know what? Maranatha Worship Center didn't always communicate who we were. We used to be Pentecostal Tabernacle. And then we were First Assembly of God, Wichita. And then we were Maranatha Worship Center. And, and, and now we're becoming, I'm not telling you, I'll tell you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> we're going to rename our church. I'm going to announce it February 23rd. Why? Because I want to preach on the why of who we are. Next couple of weeks, I'm gonna spend time just digging into the church that we are, the church that I see, uh, the church as I see it. And on February 23rd, I will reveal the new name of our church. On March 8th, we will have a vote to amend our constitution and bylaws because we have to in order to operate as uh, you know, the church that we are becoming. That's gonna be so hard not to say the name. But we are gonna go through a rebrand series. The other thing that I brought up yesterday, and it was a difficult thing to, brought up, be, to be, bring up, but I know it needed to, we are going to combine our Saturday and Sunday service. For the last couple of years, I've, we've worked to try to uh, really make Saturday night service a, a great service, and it is a great service, and we see change, and we see things happening. I've, I illustrated it this way. Suppose you, you drive a, a, a four-passenger vehicle, and you've got four people in there. You are filled to the brim. You're just like, man, this is great. Uh, we have a service that is, uh, we have a church that is a 16-passenger van, and yet we have four people in, in the vehicle, right? And, 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 and as much as I love Saturday night and all the Lord has been doing, 
doing and people getting saved and Saturday night has been great and it has been growing, I still know that the amount of effort that we would put to make Saturday night fully occupant, it, it, it would take us that, say, if we just threw that energy on one service, we can get three services on Sunday because Saturday night has some phenomenal people, some phenomenal families who are committed, who love that service, who have been there from the very beginning and I'm, I know for certain that if we get every single person under one roof, man, this church will just flourish, flourish. So starting when? Starting February 20, uh, 20, 29th. Sorry, if Pastor Justin was up here, he'd be able to rattle off these numbers like nothing. But February 29th, on February 29th, that will be the last Saturday for Saturday night. And on March 8th, come Vision Sunday, we will be one church. We will be one service. Someone asked me, Pastor, um, could we fit that? And my answer to them was, probably not. I mean, if you look around here, there's not many seats that are empty. Saturday, we only have the, the middle uh, rows here. And the crazy thing happened yesterday. When I made this announcement, it was, like, it, was, it was like the fullest service we ever had. And to have to make that announcement, like, hey, guys, we're going to be combining because you, well, you're all here. So, you know. <laughs> So, so, what, so honestly, someone asked me yesterday, they're like, Pastor, would we all fit? And my response was this, if everybody on Saturday came and if everybody on Sunday came, there is no way we would, I mean, we would have to bring in more chairs and make more space and it, things would be tight for a while. Uh, but here's one thing that I'm certain of. I know that the moment we hit 75% occupancy, we have no qualms with, with adding a second service and a third service. And I'm believing that that change is gonna be just the beginning of what God desires to do here, that we will all come together under one roof and all of us moving forward into the future that God has for MWC and the future church that I'm not gonna say. But more information will come March 8th at Vision Sunday and the next series that we're gonna be jumping into will give us more information. But now that we have the plan, Let's get to the next part in our text. And this is where we're going to end. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 18, right before they were given the plan, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. That's how you respond to the plan. Get up, march out against your enemy, take your position, stand, right? How, how are you going to stand? You're not going to have to fight, but I want you to go to the battlefield because I want you to see my faithfulness, the Lord was saying to them. And then when they were given the plan, look at what came next. I'm calling this section the praise. Verse 18 says this, then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same. The king, when he was given the word of the Lord, was the first one to bow, to worship. And I believe that if the king didn't, no one else would have. Can I just say this as pastor of this church, I have submitted and obeyed the voice of the Lord and I'm bowing before him. And some, I know this, with change comes transition. But I'm trusting him. If he's spoken, if he's given the plan, I'm, I'm going to trust him. And as I bow, my prayer is that all of us would submit and bow together. That we would trust him. And then look what happens. Then the Levites, the priests, the leaders, the spiritual leaders of the group from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. They started worshiping the, the Lord. That plan, let's just think about that. That plan was crazy. Think, of, I mean, just really put yourself in this position. A prophet speaks up. Everyone's fasting and praying. 
And a prophet's like, hey, I want you to go to the battlefield, but don't bring any weapons. There's three armies. Go ahead and meet them out there. Take your positions and just stand there. But the moment one king bows and says, this is the voice of the Lord, everyone follows suit. Someone, some of you may be saying, Pastor, we, we just went through a complete renovation. Like, this is probably not the best, the best financial position and, and the greatest timing. Like, this is, but the Lord has spoken. And, and, and I'm submitted to that. And I'm trusting that. And yes, listen, I, I, I love proper business uh, models. And, and I love when we can do things right. But when the Lord has spoken, we've we got to trust him. And King Jehoshaphat bowed. And the people bowed. And they're praising God. And they're trusting God. Then the, early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped everybody and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord, your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophet, the prophets, and you will succeed. Why did he stop them? Because he was focused on bringing unity. I'm sure that there was some rumbling, like, man, we're marching to a death sentence. What are we doing? And he stops and pauses everybody. He's like, listen, trust, believe in the Lord, and he's going to cause you to stand. And believe in the word that he gave us from the prophet, and, and you will not fall. You will, you will succeed. Trust him. And I promise you, this is, the Lord is saying the same to us. So then after consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. What is the point of this passage? That those who worship go before the army of God. Notice how he sends out the worshipers. Why? Because they are setting the culture and the standard for everyone else who's behind them. Worship is powerful. Worship is our battle cry. You see, you think he would have put the best military uh, soldiers out in front, the best swordsmen, the best archers, or the, you know, the military strategy was, would have been to, to say to put, you know, put, put your tanks up front, the ones who are going to push away through the, through the front lines. And he's like, nope, we're, put, we're putting the worshipers. And I don't think that was his way of saying, we got dead weight, let's get rid of them. No, he was, he was literally trying to make a statement that worshiping is going to win us this battle. You know what's going to carry us through 2020? Worship. And not just in here. I'm not just talking about what we're going to do in a few moments, but I'm talking about what's happening on Monday and what's happening in your car and what's happening before you put the kids to bed and what's happening before you take your finals and before you, you close your books of the semester and before you, you go to work in the morning. Like, I'm talking about what, what, what we're doing when we visit our loved ones in, in, in the nursing homes and when we're, whatever it is that we're doing, our, our attitude and our weapon is worship. He's going to carry us 2020. He's going to bring the plans into fruition. We are responsible to worship. There's something I tell my staff. I say leaders demonstrate so others can do. There's people in this congregation who are going to be looking to the cues of many of us in this, in this place. How is, how is that family responding? How is this one going to respond to that name? How, how are they going to take this? Leaders demonstrate so others can do. What is our response? We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to trust him. He's going to carry us. So here's how I want us to end. 
want us to take communion. Why? For two reasons. Communion speaks unity with both God and man, and because we're ending our Daniel fast together in this place. I'm going to invite the ushers forward. If you guys want to come forward, and I want us to just take a moment before this gets served, just, just begin to just reflect on the changes that are coming. The Lord has given us this plan. We were in a season of prayer and fasting, and he carried us, and, and he's given us a plan, and we're going to talk about that plan for the weeks to come. But then my prayer is this, that you would continue to praise God, that you would trust him. Let's go ahead and pray over these elements. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for Jesus, who was crucified for us, who died for us. We ask, God, that you would be with us, that you would help us as we find ourselves at the end of this Daniel fast season. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, we know communion is a sacred time. Communion was taught in Scripture to be the symbol of what Christ had accomplished for us. It was, it was literally him saying, I am breaking myself. I am dying on the cross for the sins of all humanity. Literally, it says that on the night Jesus was betrayed... He gathered his disciples in one room. He washed their feet. He served them. He took care of them. Literally, he took on the role of a servant. He was the one who was leading the party, leading the group, and yet he stooped down. He put on the apron of a servant, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, saying, I'm, I'm taking care of you. I'm serving you. And if that wasn't enough... Jesus takes off the apron of the servant and takes his place back at the, at, the, at the table. He reclines with them and he says this, I've been longing to meet with you so that I can let you know that what you just saw, me washing your feet, was just the beginning of my servitude for you. In fact, he pulls out the bread that was there at the table and he says, I want each and every one of you to take a piece of this bread and tear it and hold it, hold a morsel in your hand because this bread is symbolic of my body that will be given for you. And they're all looking around saying, what, what, do you, what do you mean, Jesus? And he's saying, I will lay myself on the cross to be crucified. I'm giving myself up. Listen, that I, sometimes we think Jesus was murdered. He wasn't murdered. He sacrificed himself. Amen. He gave himself up. And he said, I, I'm doing this for you. Well, what, what do you mean, Jesus? The Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, that, that there would be one who would come and be the, the ultimate sacrifice, and Jesus would be that sacrifice. So today, we, we end the fast. We hold in our hearts some plans that God has been revealing, and we also hold what is symbolic of his body that was broken for us, for every single one of us. Let me just pray. Father, thank you so much that you broke yourself for us that you, you were crucified on the cross, that you took on, on your shoulders, the weight of our sin. It was our sin that placed you on the cross, but it was the love of God, the love that you have for humanity and for your Father that kept you there. 
so that we could become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, help us to be obedient to you. Forgive us of our sins. We take this bread together. And then after he passed the bread, he also took the cup and he said, this cup is the symbol of, of the new covenant, a better covenant, better than the, any covenant you've ever had, better than the, the no, uh, Moses' covenant, better than uh, Noah's covenant. This is the best covenant. Why? Specifically, he said this, this is a covenant of my shed blood for the forgiveness of sin. Friend, your sins have been washed in the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Literally what it means is this, that Christ didn't just get crucified or get scorned or beaten or flogged. He died on the cross. He died on the cross. And he did it for you. And he did it for us. It was always the plan of God that he would eventually become, at the right time, the only way to the Father. Let's go ahead and take this together. And you know what? The Bible also tells us that our response to communion is celebration. That Christ was crucified, that he died, but that he resurrected again, that he rose from the grave, that death could not hold him down, that the one who gave his life had the power to take and the authority to take back his life, and that he rose again. And because he stands, we stand in victory with them. As those who have taken on the sacrifice of Christ and have placed it on them, that we are now draped in the victory of Jesus. Friends, can we stand as we end this together? And let me just pray over our church and everything that God is doing. Father, thank you so much. Go ahead and lift up your hands and lift up your voices. Father, thank you so much for all that you've done. Thank you for this Daniel fast that we've been in. Thank you for the last 21 days that we've gone through, God. Lord, thank you for 2020, this year that we are in. And God, I just pray that at this dawn of a new year, this dawn of a new decade, Lord, this would be the beginning of all that you have for us, Lord, that you would carry us and strengthen us, that you would pro provide for us and bless us in every single way, Lord. We pray for increase this year, God. We pray that you would increase our ability to love and to lead and to serve, that we would trust you every step of the way, God. We pray for more and more power and strength in this church, that you would continue to bless us, that you would do the miraculous, that you would do the impossible, that your spirit would be among us, that you would speak to us, God, that you would continue to prophesy and, and encourage, that you would lift us up, that Jesus' name would be lifted high in this church, Lord. And God, as we see ourselves at the end of this Daniel fast and walking towards the plans that you have for us, God, may you unite us. May you allow worship to be our battle cry. May we come closer and closer together as a body because we know that you are leading us to reach and love a city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we need your strength. We need your mercy. We need everything that you have for us. We love you. We praise you. We thank you, God. We say hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. We did it, guys. Woo. Another 21 days of prayer and fasting. Guys, God bless you. Make sure you break your fast in a beautiful way and make sure you discuss the wonderful things God did in your life. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. And that wraps up today's message, but we've got more on the way, so be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a future podcast.
You belong here, so we encourage you to get connected. You can find us on social media or online at mwcwichita.com. That's mwcwichita.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week.